Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Fantastic. So uh, we're going to get back into this, uh, and it's just appropriate today that we are getting back into the scripture right before Easter. Today is Palm Sunday, and I had to make a decision if I was going to spe- uh, preach on Palm Sunday or continue with the, uh, the series where we were right in our, uh, in our text today. And so if you have your Bibles or your phone, you can turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today. 1 Corinthians is in the right side of the Bible, uh, and it's right before Hebrews, right before 1 Timothy, and I can't even find it right now. Uh, but there we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, I don't really say this, but I encourage you, hey, bring a Bible to church if you want, or bring a phone. Be ready to, to look on the, on the phone there, if not, on the screen. All your notes are available for you in the version as well. Uh, but what we're going to do today is it's just appropriate that we happen to be talking about the cross today. And we have a Good Friday service that my wife and I, unfortunately, won't be able to attend, but we encourage you to attend that if you'd like. Uh, and so I wanted to take the liberty today to uh, talk about the cross of Jesus. And I feel this is a very important conversation today because what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to help you understand what the, 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 the message of the cross of Christ is not so that I can help you understand what it is. And we're going to learn that Paul today spends some time in the Scripture talking about what really is uh, the truth. And what we're going to do is, is we're actually going to look at uh, we're going to look at um, just the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. So we're not going to read it all up front, but we are going to kind of walk through it as I share today. And so we're going to start in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 10. And if you remember, Paul wrote this uh, letter because he had just planted the church, went back into Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he got a letter uh, saying that the church has fallen apart. There was all sorts of stuff going on. And, uh, and what happened was, is Paul is going to address some different things that are going on in the church. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, we're going to go, or verse, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 10, and we're going to read to verse 18 today. So let's read this together. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are some quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't really remember if I baptized anyone else, but I want you to know, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 18 again, for the message of the cross is foolishness. We're going to talk about that word today, that thought today, that Paul is identifying that the message of Jesus Christ is foolish. 
He continues today, and the church started uh, centered around Jesus. When Paul came, he preached the message of Jesus, the very simple message of Jesus Christ. He preached that message, and when he left, something shifted in their perspective. The church went from focusing on the cross and focusing on the message of Jesus Christ, and something happened. Something shifted in their perspective. Something shifted in their thinking. Something shifted in what they were focusing their lives on. Something shifted in their lives. Something shifted in the water of the church. Something shifted in their perspective. And Paul says in the scripture, in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Those words are like the word picture if I were to dislocate my arm and my arm were to come out of its socket. For you to put the arm back into the socket is those words agree with one another. Let the dislocation that's happening in the church let the, 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 the disunity, the division that is happening in the church, let it be adjusted. Let's have the same mind. Let's have the same beliefs. Let's have the same perspective. Let's all agree together. Now, Paul is going to talk about five different things that were going on in the church, which we're going to spend the next year kind of unfolding. But today we're going to focus on the second argument that caused division. This is interesting because this caused tremendous division in the church. He says that he heard from Chloe's household. Now, Chloe was a female, and I love this because Chloe was a female, and Chloe was the pastor of this house church, and her people heard that all this division was going on, and so they were like whistleblowers in the kingdom of God. They blew the whistle on the lack of, of, of division and quarrels. They blew the whistle where, their, where the church wasn't getting together. They said, I'm not going to allow that to happen any longer. I'm going to let Paul know that something is not going right. I want to encourage you today to be a whistleblower when you see division in the church, you see uh, quarreling in the church or disunity in the church, be a whistleblower. Don't be a gossiper. Be a whistleblower. Bring it to the, the, the leaders. Bring it to people and say, hey, there's division. I sense it. I see it. Come on. We want there to be unity in the body of Christ. And Chloe here made a, she, she cried out and she said, listen, something's not right. Something's not okay here. Chloe sent this letter to Paul and Paul wrote back. And what he realized is that the culture of Corinth their culture was a Greek culture that revered and honored philosophical, rhetorical, uh, sensational, superior knowledge. And so what was happening in the church of Corinth, which I feel is happening in many uh, of our churches today across North America, maybe the world, is that they, instead of revering the very simple message of Jesus Christ and keeping it simple, they begin to revere men or they begin to revere denomination or they begin to revere doctrine or they begin to revere ideas or ways of doing things over the simple message of Jesus Christ. And what Paul was saying here was that this is not okay. Do not allow the culture to seep into the church. Do not allow yourselves to allow culture to redefine the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul says this. He says, well, you know, some of you are following Apollos. Apollos was a philosophical, intellectual preacher. He was an incredible orator. When, when, when uh, Apollos would speak, 
people would literally wait for him to drop these intellectual, rhetorical, philosophical bombshells that would blow their minds. And if people didn't quite articulate the gospel in that fashion, they would create groupies around this Apollos, and they would mock or uh, cause division against the other groups of people that weren't like these intellectual Christians. And so what happened was is that they turned a simple gospel into a philosophical, intellectualized religion. And so Apollos had a following of people. Now, Peter, he says, some of you follow Cephas, which is Peter. Peter was the leader of the disciples. He was a big personality. He was a Jew. And so he had uh, the Mosaic law or the laws of the Judaism was what he taught. And so he was more liturgical. He was more traditional. He would more base it on the fact that, yes, you need a relationship with Jesus, but there's also these things that we do as Jews to keep the law. And so Peter was more more of a liturgical one. He was a big personality. He would speak the words of God with boldness and say, I was there with Jesus. And so all these people were saying, no, Cephas, he's got it figured out. Greeks and Jews were following uh, Cephas or Peter saying, no, uh, Apollos is too intellectual. He's too philosophical. I'm going to follow Cephas. And then thirdly, they said that some followed Christ. This is a group of people that believed that they weren't a part of an organization, they weren't a part of a church, they weren't a part of anyone other of these Apollos and Cephas crew. They believed that they were the true followers of Jesus because they only followed Jesus. They didn't subscribe to uh, organizational, institutional religion like the local church. They didn't subscribe to different podcasts. They didn't subscribe to different ideas of different men. They were only followers of Christ. And so it wasn't that uh, that they belonged uh, to Christ. It was like like almost as though Christ kind of belongs to us. We are the real church. We are the real ones. We articulate the scripture most accurately. We don't follow these things and do those things. And so some were saying, no, we are the real followers of Christ. And so you've got all these different factions. You've got all these different denominations. You've got all these different perspectives. You've got all these different doctrines. You've got all these different preachers. You've got all these different podcasts. You've got all these different leaders. And what they were doing is they were creating these sects of, sects of religion, these divisions of religion, these areas of religious organization. And they were saying, this is right. No, though, no, this is right. And they would bicker and they would fight and they would quarrel and it caused division in the church. And what Paul here said, and then he went on and said, some of you say you follow Paul. Now, Paul here is actually being a little tongue-in-cheek. He's actually being a little sarcastic. He's actually almost kind of, um, I don't want to say he's mocking them, but he's almost kind of like chiding them a little. He's saying to them, listen, you say you follow Paul. Did Paul baptize you? Did you get baptized in Paul's name? Was Christ divided? Was Christ divided for you? He says, you follow Paul. Paul? Really? Are you serious? And then he makes this statement. The funny thing is, is that Paul, they didn't even like Paul's preaching. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 2, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was, I was with you, I was with you in weakness, so I was weak and I was in, afraid and I was much trembling. So the physical appearance of Paul was not this incredible stature. He, he, he didn't look the part. He, he, you looked at him and thought, how are we going to listen to this guy? Like, he doesn't dress nice and he doesn't look cool and he, he just doesn't fit the, the part of somebody 
somebody that I like to listen to. He, he's weak and he came in fear and he was actually trembling. He was afraid to preach the message. And he says, my speech and my messages were not plausible words of wisdom. They weren't superior. They weren't eloquent. But, in they were, but I had a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul then wrote a letter, a second letter in 2 Corinthians. He wrote a letter back to the Corinthians because they were still making some mistakes. And then this is what the Corinthians said about Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. They just thought they'd come right out and say it. For some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful and weighty. Man, Paul's a good writer, but in person, he is weak. He is unimpressive. And his speeches, his sermons are worthless. They are contemptible. They are literally, they amount to nothing. That when Paul comes and preaches the gospel, like it's so, he always talks about Jesus and the cross. That's all he ever talks about. He doesn't look good. He doesn't dress good. He doesn't look the part. I'm not sure why anyone's following him because he's not leading in confidence. He's not leading with boldness. He's not leading with all these different things that we might revere. And his message was simply about one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't intellectualize it. He didn't philosophicalize it. He didn't try to rhetoricalize it. He didn't try to make it sexier. He didn't try to do anything. He just said, guys, this is the message of Jesus, whether you like it or not, whether it's sexy or not, this is what it is. And the Corinthians did not like Paul's preaching because they had Apollos and they had Cephas and I have Christ. And it caused these divisions in the church, and I want to say boldly, that is allowing the culture to redefine the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. When we allow the rhetorical, philosophical, we begin to follow men's words rather than God's. We begin to follow man's ways rather than the Lord's. In the church, we see that it will and does cause division. And Paul here wanted them to know in verse 17 that he, I did not come to preach the message of the gospel with words of eloquent wisdom. I didn't come to, to fit your culture. I didn't come to fit how it looked in, in Corinth. I didn't come and say, okay, well, I need to preach it this way because this is how the people of Corinth think. He says, I did not come with superior knowledge like these, other, these Greek philosophers. I didn't do that. And look what he says. This is the point of why Paul is saying this. He says at the end of verse 17, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's a really interesting statement to make. Paul's insinuating that when we try to overcomplicate the message of Jesus Christ, when we try to, uh, try to make something more of it than it really is, there's a, really is, there's potential to literally remove the power from the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the reason I, I, as a pastor, as a church planner, as a, as a, as a leader in the, in, in the church, I, I feel compelled as I study this to think, to begin to pray, Lord, are we allowing anything we're doing to become, or is anything we're doing robbing the cross of its power? Is anything that we're doing more about man's agenda or about man's way or about culture's way than it is about the simple message of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified? 
Because if it is about anything else, it will be emptied of its power. And the culture was trying to redefine the message of the cross, which would then empty the cross of all of its power. I want you to hear what I'm saying today. There is nothing else other than the cross of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else. There's no other message. There's no other self-help perspective. There is nothing else than the cross of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ being crucified, buried and risen on the third day. That is the message. There's nothing more to it. We can't add to it. We cannot take away from it. And if we try to do that, we will empty it of its power. And this is important for us because we have to understand the implications of the cross in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says this crazy statement. Why does, the, why does the culture, our culture today, want to eradicate the cross from our culture? I'm going to say this too. Why do churches feel that we have to eradicate this message from our message. It's a temptation to give in to the culture. Why do we feel that? Well, Paul here says it because the message of the cross is foolishness. The first thing about the, the culture, culture's perspective on the cross, as I just said, the message of the cross is foolish. That word foolish actually is the Greek word moronic. Actually, that definition of that word foolish actually means stupid, silly, moronic. It means ridiculous, absurd, flat. It's like when you're sick. I've been sick this week. My dad's been terribly sick as well this week. And it's like when you sit down and my wife makes a beautiful meal and I take that gorgeous pasta that she just made and slaved over and I put it in my mouth and I cannot taste a thing. It's like the worst day of my life. I'm so starving, and I sit down, and I'm eating air. You could put rocks in my mouth, for all I know, and I'd be like, mm, honey, this is so good. This is when she needs to experiment in cooking when I'm not feeling well. It's flat. And see, when we have the palate of our senses are flat, he's saying that the message of Jesus is insipidus. It's flat. It's absurd. It's tasteless. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's unreasonable. It's absurd. It's moronic. It's foolishness. The message of the cross is absolute stupidity. I mean, only morons would believe in that stuff. Paul's saying that this is a foolish, ridiculous message that a man named Jesus, who was God himself, would come to earth and die a brutal death that we might experience life. Now, I love movies, and I, I have a few examples for you of Hollywood articulating the message, but changing it because it looks so beautiful when they do it. The movie Man of Steel, Superman, he's from another alien planet, and he's sent to Earth, and here he is on Earth, and his brother comes down to Earth and wants to destroy the planet, and all of a sudden, Superman realizes that he needs to give his life for the world, and this picture comes up, and I don't know if you've seen it looks like he's on a cross. He's standing before the world saying, here's a Jesus in blue tights and a cape. And he's looking down at the earth thinking, I'm going to give my life. And he was shot to the earth. And he, he rose again. And we say, Superman! 
Yeah, that's awesome. Man, I love the story of Superman. Look how, how victorious and what a hero's message. Or one of my favorite movies is an old one, Braveheart. If you haven't seen it yet and I'm ruining it for you, you need to get over it. It's been out for like 20 years. So here at the very end of the movie, William Wallace is standing up for the Scottish freedom. And here he is and standing against the, the, tyrannical, uh, 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 the tyrannical evil forces of England. And here he lays on a cross. Well, I didn't put it up yet. Sorry. Here he lays on a cross. And this man's about to chop his head off. And they say, renounce your words and give your life to England and the king. And he says, freedom. And so Adam's apple looks really weird in this movie because it sticks out so far. Freedom. And everyone across the crowd is starting to cry. And they think, what a heroic picture of what one man did for the freedom of Scotland. But when we think about, I went online and began to think about the modern picture of what the cross was, the modern picture of the cross, and I even, I even actually had a little fear and trepidation when I typed it on my keyboard for fear what, what images might pop up. My stomach began to turn as I typed in the word beheading. I thought, oh, I don't want to see any of this stuff. And I put up the, the, the begin to type in my computer, the electric chair. And I begin to think, oh man, there's going to be crazy, stupid pictures of, of the electric chair. Joel, you need to put that up for me. The internet's doing it again. The electric chair. And you look at this picture and I think, oh my gosh, that is our modern picture of the cross. Or I thought, okay, a hanging. Maybe there's a picture of a hanging. That would be a better picture of what the foolishness, the moroticness of the cross, the modern picture, is nothing that is desirable. It's nothing that is beautiful. It's nothing that is great. It's disgusting and gross. And anybody who went to the cross was despised as a worthless human being. The most despicable individual on the planet would be crucified. The most brutal death. It's foolishness. It's stupid. It's moronic. It's ridiculous. Our culture looks at it and thinks, that's just dumb. That a man would willingly give his life to die on a cross but what our culture needs to do is make it more palatable. Have you ever sat in a, I know I have been, heard a lot of different messages across my life, sat in a message where I felt like the preacher was trying to make this message palatable, trying to make it fit. And see, what we have to understand, and I know this is a, a challenging thought today, but the idea here is that Jesus really makes it very clear that the message of the cross is actually so foolish that, that only few will actually find it. Jesus says these words in Matthew 7, Joel, go ahead. Matthew 7, 13 to 14 says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gates wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is very difficult and only a few will ever find it. Did you know that that is the, pal the non-palatal message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That he experienced death on a cross and he insinuates that his, fo his followers must accept the same reality? He says this in the next verse on the screen here. In Mark chapter 8, 34, then he called the crowd to join his disciples and he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow after me. The next one in, in Matthew chapter 10, he says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. What the culture wants to do is say, make it palatable, Ryan. Make it easy to understand. Make it, make it better. Make it 
it easier. Make it simple. Ryan, it's just too hard. It's just, you know, I have to give up my own life. I have to give up my own way. I have to give up my own thinking. I have to give up my own behaviors, my patterns. Yes, you do. And the scripture is very clear that the message of Jesus Christ is foolishness. It is foolishness for you to give up your way. It's foolishness for you to give up your old behaviors. It's foolishness for you to give up your own agenda and your own dreams and your own plans. It's absurd. It's moronic for you to do such things. But that is the expectation of the cross of Christ. And he expects the same thing from our lives. We live in a culture that wants to water it down to be something that's palatable. I just raise my hand and I say a prayer and I'm good. No, not really. It's difficult. It's hard. You have to give up your life. See, Paul was wanting them to understand that the message of the cross is not only, it's not only foolish, but the message of the cross is really too difficult for them to understand. He says this in 1 Corinthians 1.19. It's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Look at that. He says that our culture today, those who are intelligent, I'm actually going to frustrate them by presenting them with the cross of Christ that just, I just can't wrap my brain around it. You're telling me that this supernatural God had to die on a cross? Look what he says in, in verse 20 and 21 here on the, on the next slide here. Where is the wise? Look what he says. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher? Where is the philosopher? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, but God was pleased. It made him happy. He got great joy through the foolishness, the stupidity of what was preached to save those who believe. See, our world wants to try to figure it out. We want to try to wrap our brains around it. We want to try to make it play out in our lives. And I'm not going to really accept it until I can see how this plays out in my life. How does this play out? Before I'm going to accept that, I need to make sure I understand it fully. The only way for you to fully understand the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is when the Holy Spirit enables your mind and your heart to understand it. Our world cannot get it. Our world will mock it. You say, you talk about the cross of Jesus Christ as somebody, and they look at you sideways and say, I just don't understand. The third reason that our culture, culture's perspective is that the message of the cross isn't believable. He says here in verse 22, and 22 to 25, Jews demand signs and Greek looks for wisdom, but when we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Jews believe that uh, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, the supernatural God, they could not believe, bring themselves to believe that God himself would die on a cross. It's just so below God to do that. There's no way that God himself, the perfect God, the 100% omniscient, omnipresent, beginning, beginning and middle and last, eternal God with superior knowledge and superior wisdom would bring himself, succumb himself to such foolishness to go onto a cross. I cannot accept it. I cannot believe that. Now, Greeks, on the other hand, think it's ridiculous. They can't process it. In fact, it's really interesting. If you go back and look at, there was some graffiti up on the wall. Uh, uh, it's called Circus Maximus. Circus Maximus was a stone carving. And you see here, someone kind of painted the picture here to help you. It's a stone carving of, of, a, of a man on a cross with a head of a jackass. 
And they say that they were mocking Christianity. Greeks would write this because it was graffiti. They were mocking the Christians because what kind of person would bow down to a crucified jackass? What kind of person? Like, how stupid is that? That you would say that that is your God. Didn't he create the universe? Didn't he die on a cross? I mean, didn't he create the universe? Didn't he create you? How foolish is this? The Greeks could not even bring themselves to believe the reality. And lastly, why does the culture want to refine the message? Because the message of the cross is not sensational enough. And I'll use this word, it's not sexy enough. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 29, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. In the world's eyes, if he, God wants to deliver a fantastic message, he's not going to choose a guy like me. He's going to choose the most famous. He's going to choose the, most, the best looking. He's going to choose the best athlete. He's going to choose the most successful. He's going to choose the best of their game, the best salesman, the best model, the best husband. He's going to, why would God choose someone like me to accept the salvation and the message of the cross. In the culture's eyes, we revere men uh, and women of high stature, of success, who look the part, who act the part. We revere them. We worship them. We honor them. And God said, that's foolish. I'm going to show you something foolish. I'm going to come and die and give my life for someone as stupid and moronic as Ryan Iverson, who can't get anything right, can't get his life figured out. He, he just, like, you know, he has this problem and that problem and that problem. And he looks like this and acts like that and talks like this, but that's exactly who I want. See, in our culture, we want the elite to be the ones to receive all the benefits. And God's message says, no, I don't want the elite to receive it. I want those who are not sensational, who are not sexy, sorry guys, who are not sexy, who are not the best, who are not the highest, who are not the most expensive, who are not these things. I want the He says, consider your calling. Somewhere around AD 178, there's a picture of his face here. His name is Celsus. He's a, a pagan intellectual. He thought it was just not very sensational, these Christians. He talked about the Christian viewpoint, and he actually wrote this in like an article, a newspaper article to the people. And this is what he said. Uh, in the article declaring concerning the point of view of Christians, let no cultured person draw near. Let none wise, none sensible consider the Christian point of view. For all that kind of thing, we count evil. But if any man, if, he, if you're ignorant or if you want a sense of culture or if, you, if you're a fool, come on, that's the kind of person that's going into Christianity. And then he talks about the Christians themselves. And he says, we see them in their own houses, wool dressers, cobblers, fullers, the most uneducated and vulgar persons. He said that Christians were like a swarm of bats or ants creeping out of their nests or frogs holding a sapossium round a swamp or worms in conventicle in a corner of mud. This is how this, this uh, pagan intellectual, the articulate one, defined the kind of people that were Christians in that day. And see, the message of Jesus Christ comes and he says in verse 28, look what he says. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. That word there, he said, look, he chose the foolish things, stupid things, 
the weak things, physically weak, mentally weak, lowly things. That word lowly is the Greek word for the word genetic. And so the, he's insinuating those who are basically unborn, those who have no existence. And he takes it even further and says the despised things and the things that are not. Like basically he's saying the people that just don't exist, the people that have no kind of value, the people who are the bottom at their job, the ones who work the job and they clean the toilets while everyone else uses the toilets, the kind of guy and the kind of girl that doesn't, no one knows about you, no one reads about you, no one hears about you, no one invests into you. You basically, on the, on the map of life, don't really exist. Like, no one really knows about you or who you are or about your life. Paul's basically saying, God just chose Everybody in the world who has nothing in their life to offer anyone, but God came for that person. And in this whole idea of our culture, we think we need to be better, do better, look better, act better, be better, perform better, perform better. And God says, no, 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 stop. You don't need to do any of those things. Because I came to give you the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, right where you are. Look what he says. God chose. God chose. God chose. God chose. God chose. God chose. He chose. He chose you when you're having a bad day. He chose you when you're feeling anxious. He chose you when you're sitting in your sin. He chose you when you have no value. He chose you when you're not the greatest mom. He chose you. He chose you before the foundations of time. God chose you. He chose your life. He chose your heart. He chose your mind. He chose you. He chose you, not the other person who got it all figured out, who's got the Bible all figured out and got the intellectual figured out. He chose you and your simplicity. He chose you and your lack of. He chose you exactly where you are. I want to end on this last verse, verse Corinthians 30 and 31. Look at this. And because of him... You're in Christ Jesus. So this is now Paul saying, okay, let's bring it back to the why. The world's trying to do this to the cross. Let's bring it back to what the impact of the cross in your life. First of all, he says that now you're in him. So that is a picture of what it looks like to be a person whose central theme in life is the cross, that you are in Jesus. He is your everything. Everything you have in your life comes from him. Look what it says. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Next verse says, Christ made us right with God. That's the first thing the cross does. It makes you right with God. Listen to my words. Without the cross of Christ, you are bound to experience the wrath of God. Bound to spend an eternity in hell. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, you are not right with God. And the wrath of God, which is being poured out. I, this is not a popular message, but the wrath of God that's being poured out on all mankind is appeased by the very cross of Jesus Christ. He appeased it through the cross. And now you get to be right with God exactly where you are right now in your life. Second thing he says is that he made us pure and holy. You get to be like God. You get to be back to the person you were meant to be. And thirdly, lastly here this morning, he says this. The cross makes us free from sin. And it gives us an incredibly new heart. The very last verse Paul says here is in verse 31. He says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, 
and a boast in the Lord. You can catch anything I said today. I want you to hear this one thing. Look what he says. If you're going to boast, if you're going to find any pride in anything in your life, any value from anything in your life, let him boast in the Lord. He took that from Jeremiah. And Jeremiah wrote it in this beautiful way on behalf of God. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, and we'll end on this. God's message. Don't let the wise brag of their wisdom. And don't let heroes brag of their exploits. Don't let the rich brag of their riches. If you're going to brag, brag of this and this only, that you understand and know God. I'm God, and I act in loyal love, and I do what's right and set things right and fair, and I delight in those who do the same things. These are my trademarks. This is why the point of the message today is this. Paul does not want you to get off track. You've got to stop making it about other things in your life when it's not about those things. The church in Corinth made it about, well, this person, everyone needs to speak in tongues and we all need to prophesy and you need to have communion like this and do that. And Paul just said, stop it. Stop, stop, stop having division and arguments over these things. Accept the fact that Jesus Christ came to make you right with God. He came to redeem you and heal your heart and make you new. And he wants to restore you back to the person he intended you to be. If you're going to boast in anything in your life, stop boasting about all these other things. Boast in Jesus. Make that your boast. Make that your claim. Make that your mantra. I will boast in the name of Jesus Christ and the price he paid for me and that is it. Because everything I have comes to the cross of Christ. This is why Christians become, uh, they waver in their faith. This is why Christians become lukewarm. This is why Christians drink milk and not solid food. This is why Christians can't see spiritual growth. This is why Christians go from church to church to church to church. This is why Christians fall away from the Lord because they make it about all the things that we're not supposed to make it about instead of making it about Jesus and the fact that he died on the cross for my sins and everything I have in this life belongs to him and I am his and he is mine and I'm going to follow him and pick up my cross because the road to heaven is difficult and I'm going to serve the Lord with every area of my life. That's what your life should be about. Nothing You'll experience a revival in your heart, in your mind, in your life if you bring it back to the cross. Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. As we worship this morning, Father, we want to say thank you. We come to the altar today, God. We approach your (coughs) presence boldly and we say, Father, if we have made our lives about something else, if we've made our journey with you about something other than the cross of Christ, about Jesus, Lord, would you forgive us? And Lord, as we worship you today, God, we respond in praise. We respond in worship. We refocus. We recalibrate. We recalculate our minds on you today and say, Father, we are here today because of you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.